before we start the podcast for 2022, we would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia. We recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge that Aboriginal sovereignty has not been ceded. Welcome to the Before the Court podcast. I'm Brittany Phillips and I'm the Industry Careers Director for 2022. Joining me today is Beth Joel and Beth is one of our Industry Careers Officers. The Before the Court podcast was created by the Deakin Law Students Society Industry Careers Portfolio in 2020 as a resource for students to learn about the many diverse areas of law and career paths available to them. It's been really difficult to meet face-to-face in the last two years with legal professionals and also to attend open court to gain exposure to the profession and different areas of law. So this year, the podcast is a big focus for our industry careers team, and we'll be releasing episodes regularly throughout the year. Before we introduce our first guest, we thought we should introduce ourselves. So as I said before, I'm Brittany, and I'm the industry careers director for 2022. This is my fifth year of a Bachelor of Laws and Bachelor of Criminology, and I'm currently working full-time in a law firm while studying. Beth, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you. I'm Beth, and I'm one of the industry officers for the DLSS in 2022. I am in my second year of my double degree studying arts law. I work full-time at a family law firm that predominantly focuses on parenting and property matters. So our first guest for 2022 is Lydia Eastwood. Beth, would you like to tell us a bit about Lydia? Definitely. So Lydia Eastwood is an accredited specialist in property law and a senior associate at a law firm that practices predominantly in property law and commercial law in Geelong. Lydia lives in Geelong and went to Deakin and was part of the DLSS Geelong. She has a nearly two-year-old son and another son on the way. Lydia, welcome to the Before the Court podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Could you please start off by introducing yourself to our listeners? Thank you so much for having me. Well, look, my name's Lydia Eastwood. I'm a property lawyer in Geelong. Uh, I'm an accredited specialist in property law, which there's probably only about 50 of them in Victoria and not many in their 30s. So it was quite an achievement in um, Geelong and especially as a regional female young lawyer. Um, I met a firm called RLW, we just had a rebrand. Uh, we we practice predominantly in property law and uh, lots for lots of developers and corporate law. So we're just trying to be a law firm of about four lawyers and, and five paralegals that just focus on being the best property lawyers in Geelong and maybe Melbourne one day. <laughs> That's a bit of a different sort of firm. And I was just saying that I was a uh, part of the Deakin Law Student Society. When I was at Deakin, I was in Geelong and our campus, we used to be at the Warren Pond campus, I think it's at Waterfront now, the law sector. And I was first year rep and then functions and secretary and president. So um, when I was asked today to be on this podcast, I was just absolutely couldn't wait to yeah, share my journey as a lawyer with you guys. So firstly, could you please talk about your path into the profession? So after you graduated? Yeah, so I basically, I was studying uh, land, like I did land law and property law and I had Peter Ladenhorst and he was fantastic. And I really liked um, how 
had sort of property law worked how one you know one piece of property that can have many different interests and owners and and all of that so I um I thought I'm going to um, see if I can work in that area of law. And I applied to become a conveyancer. Does anyone know yeah, anyone that does that? I yeah. actually went online and did a little conveyancing course. And, and then I, a job came up in Geelong for a, a conveyancer. And I just started basically as a receptionist doing closing files, opening files, and just getting experience. And then uh, I did that for the last three years of my law degree. And then after that, I did uh, the College of Law. And then a job came up in Geelong for a another conveyancing clerk at a firm, White Euston Moor. And um, I applied there thinking, look, I've got nothing to lose because you know how hard it is to get a job as a lawyer. Yeah. Uh, I thought I'm just going to go there and be a um, property, like a paralegal for now and um, hopefully can move into being a property lawyer once I get admitted. And yeah, that happened to me, thankfully, because I'd had, you know, quite a few years experience as a property, as a conveyancer. They, basically, that's what a junior property lawyer initially does for the first couple of years. So it was very useful to them. And yeah, sort of slipped into a role as a property lawyer. I couldn't recommend it enough doing being a conveyancer if anyone wants to be a property lawyer. That's really interesting, actually, you um, saying that. So when you did the training to become a conveyancer, was that all just an online course? Yeah, yeah. So I just did, I think I did it with the Molka group or one of them, but there's plenty of online courses you can do to do it. And it sort of just gives you a brief understanding of it all. And then most conveyancing firms, um, there's they're just screaming for conveyances out there because it's a it can be a pretty full-on job. <laughs> Um, as Beth may know, like it's, you know, you've got to precisely manage your files in a fast time with, with numbers, which a lot of lawyers don't like maths and numbers. So you do have a bit of that involved. Um, and yeah, so you, it's not something usually that you have to have experience for. So many will be able to just sort of apply for jobs with experience and they'll teach on the job and do an online course. And it's just a great pathway to being a property lawyer. So when you start as a junior property lawyer, are you doing a lot of conveyancing work yourself? Yeah, lots of conveyancing. So conveyancing, people don't know that. It's when you're acting on a sale and a purchase of a property. So you're either acting for a vendor or a purchaser, drafting contracts, so all your contract law comes into it, taxation law with your duties and, and all of that. So, you, yeah, you do a lot of that stuff and then, you know, memos and research and um, other bits and bobs initially as a property lawyer. And while we're sort of talking about the things that helped you transition into your role as a lawyer, were there any extracurricular activities? Um, I know you spoke about law society a little bit before, um, but were there any extracurricular activities you participated in during uni that you felt helped as well? Yeah, I did. Um, I worked at Barn Community Legal Service. Didn't oh. you guys do some volunteer work? Yeah um that that really helped just again with working with clients and getting past that initial scariness of having to put yourself out there and and ask all the questions and um, run a file and you know draft documentation so I did the Barn Community Legal Service and yeah and worked at a law firm for three years so that was the the main stuff that helped for me yeah 
And what drew you to your current practice area? So you only touched on the study of um, property and landlord at uni. Was the conveyancing experience as well? Did that kind of solidify um, to you that that was the area you wanted to pursue? Yeah, and and that yeah. First of all, exactly, just that one one title can have so many different concepts. Like you got your easements, your covenants, your leases. Um, and, and sort of the property disputes. And more so that property law is a happy area of law. I, I feel like more people are happier. I, I, you know, most of the time you, you're doing a bit of conveyancing or you're, you, you're, it's a lot of transactional work, document drafting. Um, I don't like that dispute side a lot and, and that family law side and that emotional side and criminal law I didn't sort of draw to me. So I wanted to do a law where I... I tried to draw my professional, I wasn't professional skills. I wasn't the smartest person in the class. Um, So I knew I probably wasn't going to be in any of those top tier law firms. Um, But I thought, yeah, this is an area where I can talk to people a lot. I'm good at networking. I was good at bringing, you know, bringing in work Um, because I could talk to people really well. That means I could form relationships and and bring work into the firm with accountants, with real estate agents, with all of that. So that's what sort of drew me to property law and a bit of, you know, commercial law. I was able to, um, yeah, work on my skills and what I'm sort of best at in in sort of practising as a lawyer as opposed to that sort of more um, complex side of it all and litigation and all of that. Yeah. So could you please tell us about your first job working as a property lawyer at White Easter Moor? So you spoke about your love for networking. So did that really help you start at the beginning, like drawing in clients? Yeah, it did. I I remember... Um, initially there was a few um, developer clients um, and they're, they're clients you really want to keep on board. They've got lots of work and big developments and subdivisions and that's, you know, if you've got a 10-stage a subdivision with, you know, 30 lots per stage, well, each stage you settle, that's a lot of money you bring into the firm and it's you're, you're forming relationships with sophisticated clients which is really good too because it can be hard as a property lawyer you've usually got you know 10 or 20 or 30 mum and dads doing their first conveyance freaking out a lot of the times it's a big deal um, buying your first home or doing that Um, so yeah when I when I first had a job at Wastemore I actually took over from someone that retired that did a lot of um, subdivision work so I was able to um work with those developers and form really good relationships, which I'm still working for today. They, uh, Some of them came with me to RLW or followed me later down the track. And and that same with referrers. I, I sort of knew a couple of years in that I wanted to be an accredited property law specialist because I just wanted to be the best I could in one area of law and know all the, know the law off, but on the back of my hand. Because I just feel like that is a – not whether whether you get the specialisation or not, which I'll talk about a bit later, it's just um, 
as a lawyer, it's always scary giving advice and knowing you're 100% telling the right thing or they ask you a question getting stumped. Whereas I feel like by doing this specialisation, I got out every single piece of legislation to do with property law, read all the cases as much as I could. So you feel like you're not going to remember everything off by heart, but you're going to think, oh, no, I remember reading something about that. This this could be a, um, you know, a pitfall or something I've got to be aware of or give further advice on. So you sort of are able to um, capture and deal with any problems that might come early on. I realised I had to do areas of law that I initially wasn't getting at my first job at Waysmore or at the beginning of my job, so I had to go and network. And I remember going to a few, um, a couple of real estate agencies in Geelong and just said, look, I've been a lawyer for a few years, um, I'd love to be able to help you and your clients with leases. I wanted to learn how to do all retail leases and commercial leases. You know, um, we do, you know, a good price at our firm. I'll communicate with you, get back to you. All, all these referrers want is for you to communicate with them, keep them in the loop, get back to them in a, you know, in a reasonable time and do it in a pretty, you know, speedy pace but with accuracy, you know, not rushed or sloppy. And that's a big thing with referrers when you're trying to um, make that connection and network, what you sort of got to put out to them and what they're going to be attracted to. So could you touch on the current areas that you practice at the moment? Yeah, so I do pretty much every area of property law. So complex property transactions, so a lot of complex conveyances there. I've done ones in the hundreds of millions of dollars, um, massive acquisitions of, you know, shopping centres, sites. I do shop, I run a couple leases for a couple of shopping centres and shopping precincts around Geelong and the Surf Coast. Um, I actually get a lot of referrals and that was another um, sort of uh, business or networking area I touched on was I thought I'm not going to be able to always compete with conveyances so I'm going to try and be friends with them and get them to refer me work because there's lots of conveyancing firms you're competing with with the cost of a conveyance so now I've gotten I've had got a good relationship with them and they actually refer me a lot of conveyancing matters they've got when they're complex and things go wrong um so I do a lot of complex um you know, breaches of contracts when people can't settle, when there's been mistakes in conveyances, how to fix them, when, um, you know, when agents have given misleading and deceptive conduct in their advertising, dealt with them, letters to try and get people's deposits back or deal with that. I do a lot of, once you become, you know, at the start of a property lawyer, you do conveyances and that, but after a while you, I do a lot of complex agreements. So lots of joint ventures, property management agreements, weird, obscure agreements. We, a lot of, not even you got precedence for, you just got to kind of draft these up from scratch as these situations that they bring to you. Um, I deal with easements, covenants, adverse possession, um and you know I have a lots of meetings because I act for lots of developers we do we have a lot of meetings with accountants and town planners when clients are going to acquire big sites to develop and we work through you know taxation issues zoning issues 
all that sort of stuff too. It sounds like it brings a lot of sort of different areas of law and issues and different things into one and that it's not so much just you're just focusing on sort of one type of issue or matter. No, no, because it, it does bring together property law, um, tr- uh, equity and trusts and yep. taxation law and landlord and all of that. So you're really using all those laws together and mortgages, so banking and finance law. I think I don't know if that's still an elective that you guys have, but it was at one stage, but, yeah. So then I also, yeah, act for, we do a lot of um, developer client stuff and then I run a, a team of um, five paralegals so we, we sort of have um, two areas of law in our firm. We do what we call stream conveyancing, which is all your mum and dad conveyancing, which I don't have to do anymore as a property lawyer. When she, I'll let you guys know after a few years if you, because it can be hard conveyancing unless it's complex, big deals. But a lot of your mum and dad conveyancing, the paralegals do and, and junior lawyers. So I just oversee any issues that need to be escalated to me. And then we have our developer conveyancing. So that's, actually settling all the lot sales and doing all your your duty forms and admin stuff that comes with that so that's what um my sort of practice area looks like at the moment when you were talking about this two different types of conveyancing transactions it was making me think of the conveyancer in in my law firm that I work at seeing like it made me think about the way that she's organizing everything and when you do have you know mum and dad transaction and they're always bringing up and they're nervous and they're stressed and they need things explained and then when you're talking about the developer clients that we've got a developer client and I Mm -hmm. think it's half our files are that one client yep Um, and you do notice that yeah there's a continuing relationship there and it's and you don't have to ring them and they don't stress and they give you a lot of discretion and trust you to make decisions and and sort of have that faith in you and and like my clients will just you know, say I'll draft documents and say these are my recommended amendments and he just goes, yep, whatever Lydia says, that's that's it. Yeah. Like I don't need to even read through it, you know. We wanted to ask you as well how the practice of property law differs from the study of property law at law school. Are there many differences or is it quite similar? It's, it's look, it sets out the base for it all, which is what I'm sure they say all the time, but say, for example, adverse possession it sets out, you know, um, what's the the law behind making an adverse possession claim? You know, what are the what are the the precedent cases? What are what do you need to show to be able to adversely possess? You need it to show exclusive, um, un, you know, uh, continued, um, no, you know, um, no consent possession to the property, and it shows you each case where that you know that's been shown and tried and tested, and then. When you're in practice, you you have all that and, you know, you know all of that. But now it's about, yeah, drafting the documentation for that and actually um, getting that from the clients, making sure that they have met all the criteria for adverse possession and actually then in um, dealing with, you know, the land titles office or going to court and and um, doing a transaction. And that that's the same with conveyancing. You just do not do it all. I don't know if you guys even do that anymore because that was a bit of a shock to me because that's probably the biggest part of property law conveyancing and, and we did not do that. I had no idea how that even worked at um at law school. <laughs> yeah, we just touched on it quite briefly. Our assignment was focused on it. Um, I just did it last year. 
um, but it was more so on the Pixar. Yes, electronic conveyancing, which came yeah. in, which then brought it in. So I started back in the old days when we used to go do settle, actually settlement rooms and everyone's exchanging checks and documents and all of that. And then it all went on PEXA and it, it, it changed, which you would have done in some of your assignments. How did, you know, conveyancing change the practice of property law? Yeah. Um, but it was a good thing. I think it was good that it was all brought in. And um, we never used to even ask of people's ID. They'd just come up to you and say, hi, my name's, John Smith and I want to sell my, you know, my house and you you have my title or my title's here. Can you get my title? You can find out where your titles are and people will just sell people's houses and and it, sometimes it wouldn't end up being John Smith. So um, electronic conveyancing was a, yeah, really good thing that came in and, and uh, yeah, so, so that's a big thing when you go, uh, you do sort of, you learn all the basics, covenants and, all the little property law concepts you're going to come across, but then um, in law, in college of law, you, you actually, or Leo's or whatever you do, you sort of put it into practice, do a conveyance in run a file, see how you actually um, deal with covenants and easements and all of that. And yeah, so that was the biggest difference was that conveyancing aspect. Yeah. So could you tell us a bit about, uh, your experience with any property matters that have been litigated in court? Yeah, I've had a few. I had a really interesting one, um, an adverse, uh, sorry, covenant one. So, so do you remember what a covenant is? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I think I could forget even if I wanted to. <laughs> I know. <If> anyone? <laughs> yes. Well, it's, um, yeah, it's basically a restriction on a property. Um, so if you buy a property and it's got a covenant on it, on it you you cannot um do anything in breach of that covenant so a, a common one is not do anything with the property that would breach it um so there's a lot of height restriction covenants and you can imagine there's that all over the great ocean road being referenced to Geelong um if you've got a house and a house behind it there's usually a covenant on that house behind that you can't build also on the front house to, to block views and, and all of that. So people take their covenants very, very seriously. And we had um, someone breaching a covenant at building to block our client's view, basically. So we had to get an injunction. And if you guys have dealt with those, we had to go to court to stop this person building their, like they were literally building it and it was all just happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, yeah, it, it was just an absolute mess. It ended up going to the Supreme Court and then the Supreme Court of Appeal. So, wow. yeah, I didn't, I was part of the research team and it was sort of my client initially um, as part of it. So we've had, yeah, that's been the biggest um, court, uh, like case in um, court and, and we won that. So we were successful and it's actually, yeah, precedent on a few areas, which is really good. Um, we've had uh, um, done cases of removing easements or abandoning easements where people have these redundant email uh, emails easements in their property. Lots of those carriageway easements you can imagine and uh, at the back of their property that are never used. And then there's disputes about that. Um, has it been abandoned and all of that? Um, we've had breach of contracts. So 
if you don't settle your conveyance, you're breaching your contract and a vendor can sue a purchaser for the deposit and any loss in resale. So we've um, gone to court and, and sued for those, those um, monetary amounts when they haven't been received. And a lot recently we've had, um, especially with COVID, is in court is leases, commercial and retail leases, people getting injunctions to stop being um, what's called um, uh, ejected from their property. So, um, and, you know, relief of forfeiture and trying not to be evicted um, or landlords evicting tenants. So we've had a few of those situations in court. But, yeah, most thankfully we can settle prior to court. Most people do not want to spend the money because property law mainly has to go to the Supreme Court of Victoria. So it can be, that's their um, primarily uh, jurisdiction for that. So it can be uh, a very expensive exercise for clients. And I am not an aggressive person, even with my letters or anything. So I always try and make love, not war in that aspect. Cause it just, yeah, that, that, most of our most conveyances, we have a good relationship and, and help each other out in situations. Um, so, yeah, um, I can hope I can avoid a lot of disputes by not being a bit of a meanie lawyer, which can help. <laughs> Talking about claims and going to court, could you please explain the practical process of an adverse possession claim? So I know you touched before on the um, elements of an adverse possession claim and making sure that you meet those elements. Mm. But I think that sometimes in some of the cases that we read when we're studying property law, you get a perception that adverse possession relates to taking over someone's house or something. Yeah, yeah. But in reality, it can just be over a wrongly positioned defence or something like that. Correct, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so a big situation we have, and especially in Geelong West, if anyone knows Geelong, and, and you'd probably have it in, in Melbourne, in, you know, Carlton, all those Victoria houses very close together and style houses is, um yeah, it's just adversely possessing little pieces of land or um, a little part of the neighbour's land where your fence has just been positioned over on the land and it's found out when, usually when people want to renovate or build and they do a sort of a survey again of their block and realise that their fence is either the neighbours encroaching on their property or vice versa. Um, so a client will typically come to you and say, oh, look, um, I've, I'm, I'll do the example of I'm encroaching on someone's property, I want to adversely possess that land. Yeah. And um, the first thing we say is the biggest thing is that 15 years. Do you have, um, have you been doing this for 15 years or can you get evidence from prior possessors that this you've been adversely possessing this land for 15 years and it happens a lot with laneways out the back and whether they're road or council land too so that's another big one is people just people just take a little bit of a laneway or a lane next door that they think hasn't been used for a long time and someone fences it over so we, I don't even move past go unless you can show me that 15 years and you can get prior possessors um, yeah. to show that 15 years and you show that by doing statutory declarations. Yeah. Um, saying, you know, past 15 years I've had that, you do title history searches and all of that. Um, if it's a laneway that they're possessing, something that could be known ever as a public road, 
or council land or common property or Commonwealth government land, um, we have to get a, a letter from council saying um, for them confirming that they don't um, constitute the the area being adversely possessed as a road and, and never will be used as a road in the future. Because if you can't get that from council, the land trails office will refuse your application. So this is all for most of the time adverse possession claims, they don't go to court. You make the claim at the land titles office. Once you know you can establish you've got that 15 years and have the evidence to support that and it's not council land or anything that you're barred from possessing. Um, basically, you've already got that land. You've already adversely possessed the land. Um, we help establish that. And then you're just making the application to solidify and, and formalise that in your title documentation. So, so we go through all that, you know, has it been exclusive, continued, uninterrupted? We put that information all in the statutory declaration. How have you used it? Have you maintained it? Have you maintained the fence? How did you physically control it? Was it a fence mowing the lawn? Um, did you pay rates on that piece of land? Um, you didn't ever have consent or a lease or a licence. And we get um, two disinterested witnesses also you need so neighbours usually to say too yes it's been like that for 15 years and then we submit an application to the land titles office they usually take about a year nearly to pick them up and and go through it all it's very backlogged and um a notice goes out to the neighbour or whoever's land's been adversely possessed and and yeah um if that neighbour defend wants to defend that then they've got to put a caveat on the property and take proceedings to the Supreme Court and then it goes back to who has the best evidence, who has the best stat decks, witnesses, aerial photographs, all of that. So that's how it sort of um, works practically when we when we get a client in wanting to do an adverse possession claim and the process we go through. It's really interesting to hear the, the practical side of it, especially... Yeah. You're just when you're learning it you're only looking at the cases and the legislation and what the elements of the claim are you're not yeah. really always thinking about how that works in practice and what what documents have to be submitted and where you have to go I know and it's such a it can be such an onerous process and it can take years and years and yeah I've got one where we're doing I've had to find someone that had it from 1974 to 2012 and then 2012 to 2021. And then, so I've had to go back. I Somehow this person was still alive, the 1974 one. And I had to try and find the law firm who acted for him and ask them to go to their client. Like you act like, a, it feels like a little bit of a private investigator, but it's a really fun, it's a really fun process, but you never, yeah, you never see how it all is going to, how does it all come together, you know? That's what I feel like when you learning property law. It's all this information here, there, everywhere. And then it's like at the end of each semester you learn all these concepts and then the questions all come together and merge. That's what it's sort of like when you finally practice with it all. Could you briefly explain the general law relating to air rights and what you would work with to advise clients of their rights and responsibilities in airspaces? Yeah. What made you guys... It have interest in air rights. It is a bit of the flavour of the month at the moment. Yeah. It's the hot topic in property. Yeah. The drones, I think. Yeah, and yeah. Oh, yes, because you guys did do that in, um, I remember, yeah, because it's all about um, trespassing your airspace and all of yeah. that. I mean, technically in um, 
the law behind or the common law is you own all the land from the heavens to the hell. Um, but it all depends. You've got to look at your title and, and see what's actually happening with it all. Um, each, each property has their own certificate of title identification and a, and a plan, a subdivision or a title plan, and that tells you what you actually own. Most houses are to the heavens, to the hell. And I think with air drones and, and all of that, there's lots of laws around um, aviation laws and exceptions around that sort of stuff. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it is trespass. Um, but the big interesting space um, part in um, airspace is actually people buying airspace and buying rights to airspace. So I've seen it happen a little bit in Geelong and Melbourne because obviously you can't go horizontally anymore, but, you know, areas are becoming landlocked. Um, so people just try and go up and your airspace is dependent on um, who owns that top level. Sometimes it can be owned by, you know, you've got level one, two, three, four, five, level five owns the roof. You know, you have to see the boundaries of that top apartment. Or sometimes it can be owned by the owner's corporation. So the um, everyone, each apartment or property that's part of that um, plan of subdivision has one fifth right in that airspace um, and to sell it. So, um, yeah, we, we do a lot of subdivisions and people selling off that airspace uh, to a lot of developers and, and people that want to build there. It's subject to obviously planning laws and how far you're allowed to go up to and everything like that. But otherwise, it's like buying a normal piece of land. You've got to pay stamp duty on it, find who you've got to pay that to, do a plan of subdivision. And um, i got a question for you guys. Can you, how do you think an adverse possession claim would go for airspace? Oh. <laughs> reckon you can even do it? How do you, how would you establish that you've, for such a long period of time, occupied airspace? Correct. That would be the problem. It would be that yeah. showing that, Physical control. I, I reckon that, that you would not be able to show, would you? That just came to me today when I was having to think about it. I'm such a nerd. But I was <laughs> um, dreams yeah. about at night. Yeah. But interesting, in, in um, a lot in CBD Melbourne, developers, like when they're sort of, um, you can imagine uh, buying a big, to do a big hotel or apartment, they will buy... Um, they have that land and, and build up and then they've got apartments in front of them. They'll buy the airspace rights in in front of them. Yeah, so so it doesn't block views, say, to the botanical gardens or to uh, Port Phillip Bay or anything like that. So you don't necessarily build the airspace. You can actually buy rights to that airspace and you, you could still pay $200,000 to a $1 million of what's that worth but never build anything there but put covenants then on those properties to say you cannot build this high to protect for your benefit, you know, the building behind to have the rights to that airspace. So that's been a real interesting area too to work with and document. That is very interesting just to hear about. Mm. Yeah, to sort of imagine how that would work. Have you had matters where you've had clients that are wanting to buy airspace to protect their developments and views? Yeah, yep, yeah, we've had that and, and drafting those sort of documents and restrictions and yeah, I've had a few in Geelong um, starting, starting to trickle down now into Geelong. It was huge, obviously, in New York and London. 
um, massive there and it's just started in the last couple of years to trickle into Australia and just into Geelong. We've had inquiries about that and, yeah, it just involves looking at the plan, who has the airspace rights, how high can you go up and, and yeah, what's the cost of, of doing that? You mentioned before that you're an accredited specialist in property law. So could you please talk to us about what the process was like to become an accredited specialist um, and how long it took and mm. what exactly you had to do? Well, funny enough, I was working with um, Beth at the time, so she knows what the process was like. Was I a psycho or <laughs> No, not at all. It is. I really, I, I wanted to be a um, accredited specialist, and I actually ended up. So, um, like I said, I wanted to do it just to know the area and just be comfortable talking with clients about it and and, and giving advice and even teaching a deacon, which I've done and marking exams, just knowing it inside out. Um, so you can you can. Applied, they run the accredited specialisation every two years. It's through the Law Institute of Victoria. So I recommend everyone become student members of the Law Institute of Victoria. There's so many resources there and events and networking and everything. Um, and I thought oh, I needed, again, trying to think years ahead, what can I do to, um, to get this accredited specialisation or give myself the best shot? So I joined, I asked to join the... Um, Law Institute of Victoria Property Law Committee. So that's a committee who's involved in um, drafting all, you know, the, the contract to sale precedents, dealing with new oh. laws, um, um, having meetings with stakeholders. Like um, I, I've been there for nearly five years now, but we met with um, the State Revenue Office when they brought in the digital duties form and the Land Tiles Office when they were bringing in electronic conveyancing and how things were changing and how we were going to implement these procedures to lawyers and, and conveyances that were so used to doing conveyancing, it, you know, in paper. Um, and they discuss all the new cases that have come in and law and, and, and they discuss the hardest topics because we there's obviously an, an, a practitioner support line at the LIV, so when there's these, um, yeah, different questions that no one can really answer, it, it gets um, escalated up to the property law committee. So I joined that and um, I just read cases for the last two years. So you can, on LexisNexis, you can get the daily unreported judgments. I don't know if anyone does that. Or I used to sit there on my iPad each night and just click on the property law ones and read what's happened and do a little case summary. Um, and then I, um, they, they put out like a list of all the topics um, you need to know or they could test you on. And it's three tests. You do an, um, a written exam, you do an oral simulated, simulated client interview and an assignment. And I made notes on all the topics, you know, the most the recent cases in the last two years, you know, predominant cases, all the legislation, the you know, the land tiles office practical way of doing things, and um, yeah, then we formed a study group and did notes, and then did mini notes and mini notes and checklists and answer plans. And Beth, I remember printing out all my booklets and showing you how proud I was. They were like my babies. <laughs> I know there were so many <laughs> and tabbing it all and everything I still use them today they're actually genius but um yeah and then um it was 10 of us or nine of us that did it 
and three pass. So that's the pass yeah. rate of it. And every two years, and you know, you give up two years of your life and people give up a lot. Like I studied every night after work, a couple of hours and the weekend I go to Melbourne, meet up with a study group um, on one day and then study the other day. It, that's how, yeah. And so working full time still. So from an outside point of view, it was so full on and yeah. I just see like how hard you worked to do that. So I think although the pass rate is a, it's low, but it's for good reason. Yes, exactly. Because you really have to be the best because yeah. you're putting yourself out there to the community that you are the, you know, some of the best property lawyers and you're going to have the answers and, and know that advice. And yeah, yeah, it, it just can't be for anyone really nearly. Um, I think it just goes to show that the people who do have a specialization, they really are that dedicated mm. to it because I just remember, you know, how full on it was for you, but you did like a really good job and obviously you passed, but no, thank yeah. you. <laughs> no, it was good. It was, um, I was so pleased at the end and, um, yeah, it's, it's been fantastic being part of the property law specialisation group. We have our monthly meetings and discuss all the cases and, uh, and um, you know, the new legislation that comes out and uh, it's, it's, it's really fun. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so we also wanted to congratulate you for your Victorian Young Property Lawyer of the Year Award for 2020. <laughs> Thank so you. Was there anything specific involved in that process of being awarded that um like, were you nominated for that or did you apply for that? Or Yeah, I was nominated. A few friends put my name forward and said, look, Lids, you've got to apply for this. Um, you know, you've, you've done a lot. Um, what I actually had done was I created this group in Geelong and this is just my social side and coming back to the Law Society and being on all these committees and wanting to arrange these get-togethers. And I created the Geelong Property Lawyers and Conveyances Group. And because I had good relationships with all the property lawyers and conveyances from doing conveyances, um, we, we'd meet up once a month and talk about, and it was especially when um, electronic conveyancing was coming in, we'd talk about all the issues and, and, and new procedures and how are you guys doing this and how are you answering this question and, and all of that and, and, and bringing in, you know, the land titles office and the state revenue office down to explain these new documents. And... Um, the property law council were just fascinated that I was able to bring property lawyers and conveyances together in one room and not kill each other because <laughs> they are rivals, arch nemesis normally, and um, and have this group. So so that was a big part of it, which actually trumped me to um, get this award. So a bit of a different question. Mm. Uh, we wanted to ask you, what does it mean to you to be a solicitor and to help people? Um. It makes you really happy knowing that you're helping solve these people's situations because sometimes people come to you so stressed out and just go into a really bad situation. I can't sleep. Um, you know, how can you help me get out of this situation or, or um, solve this situation for me or um, better, you know, be part of Geelong's development and change? And so that sort of part I love and... Um, once you get older and, and once you have years behind you, and actually, funnily enough, no one wants to be a property lawyer anymore. It is a bit of a stressful area. Um, they can't find property laws anywhere. Um, so if you, can, if you want to be a property lawyer and can get through a few years of it and just sort of get that patience and just know that, 
you know, it's okay. Nothing's the end of the world. You just got to work through it and roll with the punches. It's such a rewarding and a job and, and showing your knowledge and, and being able to specialise in one area of law. And another sort of different question again, but what would you say keeps you motivated? Being like, I guess a bit different in my household. I'm more so the breadwinner of the family. So being a lawyer keeps me motivated to, you know, provide for the family and, and keep that job. And I've got a really good workplace. I've got great, my bosses are awesome. They're, they're two guys and they're just chilled and laid back and quirky a bit like me and um and great support staff that and I hope I'm a good um mentor and teacher and um yeah it motivates me get bringing careers for them a lot of these girls sort of never have been never done conveyancing before and I sort of help develop them to be uh, a conveyancer when they're older or we, we hire a lot of um, law students too so to help them become property lawyers one day. So that's a huge motivation and part of it. Uh, so was there any advice that you would give to a current Deakin student that might be interested in following a pathway into property law? Yeah, I definitely doing that conveyancing course. Like number one, um, I'm happy for you to email me or contact me about that if you ever need Lydia Eastwood at RLW. Um, any tips or courses or anything on that it's just invaluable doing that you're you'll be absolutely so um useful and needed at a law firm if you've got a few years conveyancing background um to you it's so interesting to me when you mentioned doing conveyancing it makes so much sense because conveyancing is such a big part of property law but it just wasn't something that I thought about that I connected to property law yeah. what of them yeah. separate I know, I know, but no, it's 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 a big part of it, like, but on a larger scale. So, and another sort of slightly, well, this question sort of outside of law. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what are your interests outside of law, and some of the things that you do to maintain a work life balance? Yeah, I um, I love to exercise. So I, I just got, you just got to have a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. So I get up every morning, six a.m. at the moment. Um give my son breakfast and do a workout at home, um, eat healthy, I cook, cook dinners. And I like to have a little hobby on the side, learn something new at the moment. I'm decorating royal icing cupcakes. That's my new thing. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. I sound like a grandma. Um, <laughs> She'll be eating next week. I know, I know. So, um, Total geek yeah. students. I know, so that's my hobby at the moment. Um, yeah, uh, but yeah, exercise, cooking, and just hanging out with the family, and and making sure I do fun things, go out to dinner with the girls, and yeah. okay. Well, we just have one final question. Yes, is, if you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would it be, and why? Yes, yeah, so I got um, I had Reese with us. <laughs> I really like her. She seems like I think I get this off following her Instagram. I get way too connected now. But she's awesome. I think she's um she's she's an amazing actress and she has that company Hello Sunny or whatever that was. Um uh and she's amazing. Just she like it's all about women's rights and sticking up for women and all of that. That's a big thing that I sort of want to strive for in in, in the you know my career and that. Um because it is still, there is still, and I haven't faced it, but still that bit of that 
you know, non-equality between men and women. So I really admire those people. Marsha Clark, prosecutor in the OJ Simpson trial. She's that was she yeah, she's an amazing woman and oh, God took a beating um, with it all. So she yeah. again worked in a male dominant field and just absolutely excelled. So she's amazing and probably um I guess Barack Obama. Um yeah, he, well, you know, the first African-American president, it would be amazing to see that he basically carried on his shoulders that whole, yeah. you know, um, that pressure of that. So I reckon that would be a good dinner table for me. Yeah, be good. I said to Brittany before, I thought you would pick someone from the 80s. Like oh, yes, I know. I should have. I know. I was thinking of a few people. I was like, I was saying to my husband, oh, what about like, professional snowboarder because you know I love my snow <laughs> it's like no you've got to say you're sophisticated <laughs> we haven't even thought about well I haven't thought about who I would say it's really hard I know I asked yeah. um at work um they said that Gandhi or what's that ever got everyone everyone said oh, that yeah. one yeah <laughs> Thank you so much Lydia for joining us it's been great having you on our podcast um, and thank you so much for sharing about your practice areas and your career pathway to date as well. We're looking forward to sharing this with um, Deacon Law students. Thanks, guys. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoy and always happy to answer anyone's questions anytime.